Jesus warned us of this first great danger of materialism, the danger of being completely consumed by it, of being led toward it with our whole lives. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright. Our current series is titled The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. Tom has part four for us today as he teaches out of Matthew chapter 6. Well, as you've learned so far in this series, the economy of earth is a whole lot different than the economy of heaven. The scriptures command the believer to store up riches in heaven. But how exactly do you build up these treasures in heaven? What does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? Does it really matter what you do with your earthly possessions? Well, today, Tom will continue to look at three ways the Bible encourages believers to store up treasure in heaven, as well as what dangers materialism holds for us. Let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, to know me, to be a part of my spiritual kingdom, to have salvation, is like a guy who isn't really looking, and he stumbles across the treasure, which is my kingdom, which is the gospel, which is knowing me. And he comes across this treasure, and he realizes This is more valuable than everything else I have. And if I have to, I'll give everything else up to get this treasure. This is like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He wasn't looking. God found him. The treasure found him. If you're a believer, there was a time in your life when you came to realize that everything else in your life really wasn't valuable at all compared to the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ. And you were willing to give everything else up to get that. Look at the next one, verse 45. Here is a person who is looking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Here's a businessman who deals in pearls. In the ancient world, the average person couldn't own pearls. They came from either the Persian Gulf or from the Indian Ocean, and and only the wealthy could have them. And here's a man who deals with the wealthy and with pearls, and he hasn't yet found one that he really likes that really has that great a value. But one day, in some small shop somewhere, he comes across the greatest pearl he's ever seen. And he recognizes that its value is so much greater than everything else he owns that he will sell everything else he has to get that pearl. Again, the story's the same. Here's a man who is searching, not because he was seeking on his own. If he's searching, it's because God is at work in his heart. No man seeks for God, Romans 3 says. So God is at work in his heart, and he's seeking. This is like Cornelius in Acts 10. He's looking. By the grace of God, he's looking. And he discovers the treasure, the pearl, Christ, and knowing Christ, and forgiveness and being a part of Jesus' kingdom, and he's willing to give up everything else in order to have that. Paul is a great example of this. You remember in Philippians chapter 3, 
Verse 8, he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. The Greek word Paul uses for rubbish is skubalon. It's a word, a pol- the most polite word he could use for excrement. He says, I look at everything I have. I look at every accomplishment I've been able to accomplish. I look at everything I own. I look at everything that I once thought was valuable. And then I compare it to Jesus Christ and knowing him, and it's excrement. I'm willing to give it all up. And then he goes on in verse 9 to say that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is by keeping the law, by doing something, but rather a righteousness, a right standing before God that comes by faith in Christ and what he did. That's the treasure. So if you want to store up treasure in heaven, you've got to make sure you're going there. You have to renounce every other treasure in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. But many of us here are already followers of Jesus Christ. How do we store up treasure in heaven? There are a couple of ways. Secondly, we invest in the advance of Jesus' spiritual kingdom. We invest in the advance of Jesus' spiritual kingdom. We're in. We've already gotten the kingdom. It belongs to us. We found the treasure. And now we invest in the kingdom. How do we do that? A couple of ways. We invest in the advance of Jesus' spiritual kingdom by investing in missions and evangelism. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about how the Philippian church invested in this way. Philippians 4 verse 15 He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. In other words, you were the one who was supporting my missionary work. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. He says, it's not that I'm after the gift. Here's what I want. I seek the literally fruit which increases to your account. He's not talking about financial fruit. He's talking about spiritual blessings. Verse 18, your giving to my missionary work is a fragrant aroma in God's nostrils. It is an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's what I want. I want you to invest with God. I want him to be pleased with how you're using your resources. You remember the story of the unjust steward in Luke 16? I wish I had time to take you there. I don't. He knew he was going to get fired. I'll kind of modernize the story a bit. He knew he was going to get fired. And so he decided to use his master's money to his advantage. And Jesus makes this point in the end. Listen to Luke 16, 9. I say to you, Jesus is now talking to his disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, use the money you've been given to buy friends for eternity. How do you do that? You invest it in missions and evangelism so that when you get to heaven, you will have invested 
in such a way that there will be people there waiting to see you because your funds made it possible for them to hear the gospel. You invest in missions and evangelism by investing in the work of the church as well. So we need to make sure that we're going to be in heaven. We need to invest in the advance of Jesus' spiritual kingdom. There's a third way we store up treasure for heaven, and that is we invest in the needs of people. Jesus says this explicitly in Luke chapter 12. Turn there with me. Luke 12, verse 33. Jesus says to us as his disciples, sell your possessions and give to charity. Now again, he's not meaning that we need to sell everything we have. There's another passage we'll look at in a moment that makes that very clear. He's saying, be generous with your resources in helping others. The word give to charity is the same Greek word as give alms or give to the poor in Matthew chapter 6. Because when you give to meet the needs of other people, notice you make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. You have an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, you can invest in heaven, you store up for yourself treasure in heaven by using your resources to help other people. 1 Timothy chapter 6 makes exactly the same point. Turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus says through Paul, his apostle, I want you to instruct those who are rich in this present world Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That's how they're to think. Now, what are they to do with their resources? How do we respond to that? Verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. And here's what we're to do with our resources. To be generous and ready to share. Help other people. Be generous in helping others. Because when you do, verse 19, you are storing up for yourself the treasure of a good foundation for the future. In other words, you're storing up in heaven. When we invest our resources in these things, we are investing in heaven And the investments we make there will never be destroyed. They can never be taken from us. In fact, we will receive an eternal reward. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, that is to one of my followers, even a cup of cold water to drink, Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Listen, if all you have to give is a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, Jesus says, I'm watching, I see it, and there's no way in time or eternity you're not going to be rewarded for that. So that's the right approach to personal wealth. Make sure you'll be in heaven. Invest in the advance of Jesus' spiritual kingdom by investing in missions and evangelism, by investing in the church, and invest in the needs of people. Now, in verse 21, Jesus identifies the first danger with materialism. Notice verse 21 begins with that important little word, for. 
In this verse, Jesus is going to explain for us the reason behind the negative command in verse 19 and the positive command in verse 20. And here we get to the essence of the first great danger of materialism. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the pronouns in the Greek text of verse 21 are singular, unlike the pronouns in the previous two verses. Jesus was speaking to all of his disciples as a group in verses 19 and 20. In verse 21, he's speaking to you and to me individually. And the key to understanding what he says here is understanding the word heart. It's not the English word. The biblical word, both in Hebrew and in Greek, is not primarily a reference to your affections, to what you love. That's how we use the word heart. Instead, the biblical word heart describes the entire inner self, the center of your personality. It embraces your mind, your emotions, and your will. Now look again at what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, There, your entire inner self will be also. Wherever you primarily invest your time and energy and financial resources, your entire person will be there also. Your thoughts, your will, your affections will all be completely consumed with where you have invested your treasure. Whatever it is you most treasure... Listen carefully. Whatever it is you most treasure will subtly but inexorably determine the direction of your life. William Hendrickson writes, if a person's real treasure, his ultimate aim in all his striving is something pertaining to this earth, the acquisition of money, fame, popularity, prestige, power, then his heart, the very center of his life, will be completely absorbed in that mundane object. All of his activities, including even the so-called religious, will be subservient to this one goal. On the other hand, if out of sincere and humble gratitude to God, he has made God's kingdom his treasure, then there is also where his heart will be. When I was growing up, My dad had this brilliant idea. Let's recapture a piece of land behind us and put a large garden there. Now, this is South Alabama. This is summertime. The temperature's 95 degrees and about 85% humidity. And this is unclaimed land. It's Alabama topsoil with Alabama clay beneath it, and there are these little scrubby pines, and, and there are scrub bushes everywhere. And dad said, let's take that quarter acre and make a garden. Well, it fell my lot to prepare the land. So one summer I cleared off all the trees, cleared off all the scrub brush and, and got the land ready. Then what I did was I, we didn't have any equipment at this point except me. And so I got a shovel and I turned that entire quarter acre foot by foot, turning over every spade full of earth so that the stuff that was growing on the top of the ground could be killed and the ground could be prepared. After turning every spadeful of that quarter acre by hand, I was thrilled when my dad said we were getting a rototiller. But it didn't take me long to discover, you know, that as a, as a junior high or high school boy, I don't remember now exactly how old I was, 
You know, I was distracted. It was hot. I didn't really want to be doing this. I didn't really love okra that much or whatever it was he wanted to plant. It wasn't, it wasn't worth this, I can tell you that. And so um, I was happy to be somewhere else, but I had to do this. So my mind would wander, my eyes would wander, and I learned pretty quickly that if I looked away from this row that I was preparing with this rototiller, that when I got to the other end, it didn't look very good. It was terribly crooked. In fact, I learned that I always steered in the direction I was looking. That's exactly what our Lord is saying here. Wherever you store your treasure, that's where you'll always be looking. And wherever you look, that will determine the direction of your life. You will steer your whole life toward that treasure. You see, whether you are wealthy or poor or somewhere in the middle, if you primarily invest in the treasure of your career, your business, your retirement, your financial success, your investments, your possessions, your personal comfort, then it is those things that will consume your mind and heart. That's where you'll look and that's where your entire life will end up going. On the other hand, if you primarily invest in the treasure of the kingdom, then Jesus' kingdom will consume your heart and mind. That's where you'll always be looking, and that will help set the direction and course of your life. D.A. Carson writes, The things we treasure actually govern our lives. What we value tugs at our minds and emotions. It consumes our time with planning, daydreaming, and effort to achieve. If a man wants above all else to make a lot of money, buy an extravagant house, ski in the Alps, or sail in the Mediterranean, head up his company or buy out his competitor, build his reputation or achieve that next promotion, he will be devoured by these goals and the values of the kingdom will get squeezed out. Notice, he says, that none of those goals is intrinsically bad, but none of them is of ultimate value. Therefore, any of them can become evil if it is valued as ultimate treasure and thereby usurps the place of the kingdom. Carson goes on to say, we think about our treasures. We're drawn toward our treasures. We fret about our treasures. We measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly examines himself can pretty well discover what his real treasures are simply by studying his deepest desires. We tend to move toward the object on which we fix our gaze. In the same way, listen carefully, Our whole lives drift relentlessly toward the spot where our treasures are stored because our hearts will take us there. Jesus warned us of this first great danger of materialism, the danger of being completely consumed by it, of being led toward it with our whole lives. How are you doing with materialism? How are you doing with this first danger? Are you completely consumed by materialism? Let me give you a little test. Just ask yourself these questions as I've had to ask my own heart this week. Number one, have you hoarded wealth or possessions beyond what you need or will ever reasonably use? Number two, 
Do you spend your wealth exclusively on your personal comfort and pleasure? Whatever you have, is it all about you? Number three, do you live in a state of revolving credit card debt to buy possessions you can't afford on your own income? Number four, do you long to be wealthy and constantly scheme and plan to make it happen? Number five, do you often fall prey to get-rich-quick schemes like pyramid schemes, and unfortunately there are no shortage of those in the Christian community, or the lottery or whatever it might be, some shortcut to wealth? Number six, where do you find your greatest joy? Is it in your personal wealth? Investments, houses, cars, possessions, experiences, trips? Or is it in those things that have to do with Jesus and his kingdom? And number seven, are you willing to give up what God has given you if being faithful to Christ demanded it? There's an interesting passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, the The author of Hebrews says things got bad toward the the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Persecution in the Roman Empire accelerated, and they began to take away Christians' property. How would you do with that? Listen to how they responded. Hebrews 10, 34. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Is that your perspective on what God's given you? Or what about Moses' perspective? Think about Moses for a moment. Here's a guy who for 40 years was at the top of the world. He was the adopted son of the most powerful woman in the history of Egypt. There was a period of time when he might very well have been the next Pharaoh. But he gave it all up. How could he do that? Listen to Hebrews 11.26. Moses considered the reproach of Christ, the reproach of the Messiah, he considered the reproach that came with knowing the Messiah greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the ultimate reward, the heavenly reward. If it was necessary to be faithful to Christ, Would you be willing to let everything he's given you go? How'd you do on the test of materialism? May God help each of us to examine our hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father, we live in a material world. We are constantly influenced by the advertisements and the bombardment of ideas that happiness can be attained in the ownership of stuff, wealth, will bring us joy. Father, thank you for this correction to our thinking. Help us to see the danger that comes, that we can easily become so absorbed in it that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Father, may we invest not in mere earthly treasures, but may we truly invest in your kingdom and in your kingdom work so that our hearts will follow toward you and toward heaven.
Father, I pray for the person here who's still living satisfied by the trinkets of this life. They've never really seen the treasure that is Jesus Christ. I pray that even today they would see him for the treasure that he is and be willing to give up everything else to get him, to get a right relationship with you through him, to get forgiveness of sins through his death on their behalf. Father, may this be the day when they come to embrace the treasure that really is a treasure. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of our series, The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. Tom will bring you part five on our next program when he continues this important series. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.